Welcome to the Unconquered Podcast, Hot Takes Edition. One of the issues with our team right now is, is, is mental toughness, uh, discipline, and, and um, execution. Blame no one, make no excuses, do something. Welcome back to the Unconquered Podcast, everybody. This is the post-game Hot Takes Edition, following the loss to Boise State, the third season opener in a row where Florida State has opened the season with a loss. And uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna spend some time. This is uh, that that post game episode where I, I really don't I haven't I haven't gone back and looked at anything yet and uh, just gonna give you my impressions of what we saw. We did this uh, last year, we've done this for quite a while. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll there's plenty to talk about here, and uh, plenty of plenty of good, and probably even more bad that we can talk about in this game. But um, but yeah, for another season, another opening disappointment. Uh, and really, it was a it was a a I told you all to expect early on that within the first quarter, you'd see the difference with a well coordinated offense, and and how big of a difference Bryles and his staff would have made that, you know, by the end of the first quarter, it'd be like, wow, they, and that happened. And in fact, I'd said, you know, my sources were saying night and day. Well, that became kind of the, 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 the motto or, or the, the mantra that is the mantra from Greg McElroy in the first half talking about, you know, this just looks night and day from last year. So, you know, that sounded great. And, and heck I, I projected in this game that Florida state would win, uh, thirty-four to seventeen. I thought that was uh, that was about the the score to kind of expect there. And what do you know? The first half ended with a score that's pretty close to that. So for a half, it looked it looked like kind of what what was expected in a lot of ways. But really, if you're going to characterize this game, it's not so much night and day that is the final mantra, but day and nightmare. Because the first half was that day. I mean, it was 31 points, big plays, ran the ball, looked like a Bryles offense, not you know, not like a recent Florida State offense from the last couple of years, but like a legit Kendall Bryles coordinated offense. And, you know, things just looked like they were gonna get get moving. And then the other shoe dropped in the second half, and the nightmare began. And they just couldn't that this is a team that struggled last year. If there was any adversity or if there was anything that went wrong to find a way to to uh, overcome that. And once again, they showed an inability to do that an inability to finish an inability to uh, step forward and execute when things weren't just rolling. It's a front running team. It was last year, and it appeared. And, and the only difference is last year they were almost never ahead. This year, they again, when things started going wrong, just did not, did not finish. Didn't didn't handle their business. Now that first half, you know, defense showed some worrying signs there in the first half. You could see that uh, that there were that there were some concerns already in terms of how the defense was handling the running game. Uh, you could see. I mean. They they rushed Boise State rushed eighteen times in the first quarter for ninety three yards. Well, you know that's and I'm doing quick 
quick math here. I'm not uh, quick enough uh, with my arithmetic to do this without a uh, calculator, but that's 5.1 yards per carry rushing in the first quarter. That was concerning to start the game. That's not good, Bob. <laughs> that's not good. And when when that's the way you're starting the game up front, uh, in the, the kind of heat that this game had, where it was played basically on the surface of the sun, well, that's going to be bad for your defense. You have to get stops, and you have to get those stops early to be able to put pressure on the other team. But Boise came in, and they did exactly what I said in the, in the pregame podcast that they do. In the preview podcast, I said, look, they're going to come in. They want to pound the ball. They were 90th in adjusted pace last year. They're going to want to pound the ball even more so in this game due to Bryles' tempo. Last year, they were 14th in rushing SP+. Plus, had a high success rate. They were 12th nationally in SP+, in SP plus in terms of success rate. They returned five opening starters from a really good offensive line with legit NFL prospects on that offensive line, and they're going to hang their hat on that. They're going to line up in 21 personnel, and they're going to they're try to pound the ball down Florida State's throat. I knew that. Florida State's coaching staff expected that, and they went out, and they did it. What was surprising is precisely that they did it, that they were able to to basically single block in the running game, Robert Cooper, Marvin Wilson, Corey Durden, and their backups. Their backups, not not as surprising that they were able to do that. But those guys, they were able to single block those guys and get got, and get linemen to the second level or combo block and release and get to the second level. And they consistently got linemen to the second level. I mean, I'm going to watch, uh, watch the film later and and take a look more closely at that but they consistently from what i saw were able to get guys to the second level and that that meant that the the linebackers who were a little slow to trigger at times in this game just didn't have they weren't kept clean at all in this game florida state flat out got pushed around by boise state in this game up front and that was the big surprise in this game now Offensively in the first half, Florida State, I mean, you look at Florida State's first quarter, 127 passing yards. And let's see the per play number here. Where is it? I don't, I don't, I, I, I'd again have to do the, uh, do the math here. So 127 yards on 15, on 15, or I'm sorry, 203 yards in the first, in the first quarter on 15 plays. That's 13.5 yards per play in the first quarter. Well, that, that's exactly what, I mean, that's actually better than what I expected to see. But they were dominant in that first quarter. Even ran the little uh, H-back uh, screen flat route that I kind of hinted at uh, on, the, um, on the Patreon uh, preview. They, and actually what's fun about that is that they lined up Tamori and Terry there. They lined him up outside and then motioned him into that spot to be able to run it turned into a 75-yard touchdown on that little on that little pick that they that they did which is legal because of where he catches the ball. Really nice play, same play that they ran later on for the touchdown to uh, to neighbors by the way, just on the other side. Nice little wrinkle that they had ready for Boise. And they were they were rolling offensively. But the concerning the warning signs were there when you go 18 rushes for 93 yards in that first half and they had 32 plays for 173 yards 
overall in the first half or in the first quarter, not in the first half. First half, 14 rushes for 48 yards. So Florida State's defense locked in a little bit better in the, in the uh, second quarter. But, and that was, the, that was really the quarter where they, they, they did well defensively, comparatively. But there were some warning signs there. That was what was concerning. And uh, ultimately, this game sort of turned at the end of the first half. I mean, the end of the half by the offense was messy. I thought Bryles made a mistake going empty, especially going empty with one of your weaker pass blockers on the interior with uh, with Christian Armstrong, who's looked good in the run game. He looked good in the run game through camp, but he's not as good a pass blocker as Brady Scott. If you're going to go empty there, I'm surprised that that's when they made that 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 uh, rotation move. I mean, I'm sure Scott was tired and all that, but that's where if you're going to go empty and you're going to throw those screens and then you're going to throw a drop back there, that's when, you know, you probably want your your best your best five out there. And I was a little surprised by that. I thought that was a bad decision. And I thought just the end of half management was it was lacking. Uh I understand again what he was trying to do there. He's trying to get the ball on the edge to playmakers and all of that, but they, you know, best case scenario is that you don't give up points at the end of that half or you know, worst case is that you went wind up doing kind of what they did. And, you know, I thought that that turned the momentum going into the half where Boise was able to uh, to score right before the half and was able to to narrow that lead down to. Uh, with that uh, with that field goal at the end of the at the end of the at the end of the half. Uh, yeah, it's the sort of thing that you can edit out when you're actually doing this normally. <sighs> but, yeah, I thought that was that was where the sort of the momentum got some got changed. But in the first half again, it was still the day the daytime. It was still the the good part. And you look at the defense did get a lot of pressure on the passer and that's something that we had flagged as a as a concern. We'd said that they would rely more on disguise and some stunts and some blitzes to get to the quarterback and they were successful with those. They got to the quarterback and they got more pressure than expected. So that was a good thing. That that was that was encouraging. The problem is that not only did they not stop the run well, but even though they were getting to the quarterback with the rush, the coverage wasn't good enough behind it to prevent the uh, the, the freshman quarterback, the true freshman quarterback, from getting the ball out hot and still being able to make some conversions, still being able to get the ball to receivers who were open. And ultimately, that... That combination, if you can't stop the run and you can't pattern match, well, defensively, you, you've got nothing. If you can't stop the run, you've got nothing. And then that, so those are the warning signs. And then, then we got to the second half, and the second half was the nightmare. Zero points from the offense, and the defense could not get itself off the field. They just kept getting gashed in the run game and gave up conversion after conversion when they did get a few stops in the run game, when they did get a sack or a negative play, Boise State was consistently able to dig themselves out of that hole with the quarterback. That quarterback is, is going to be something, but with him standing in there, making courageous throws to guys who are running free. And I thought the, the play that kind of typified the game for the defense was you got third and 13, and they rush three, which is a controversial 
decision to begin with, but they rush three and drop eight. And then you have Boise have a wide receiver surrounded by four guys all in their zone while he's standing by himself over by the sideline. And then the quarterback does a good job fitting it in there and you've got a conversion. And that is why spot dropping in college football is a bad idea. The difference between pattern matching and spot spot dropping is, again, it's like the difference between a zone defense in, in basketball and a matchup zone defense in basketball. If you're spot dropping, it's, okay, I'm dropping here in my zone. I'm covering the curl zone, and my drop is into, you know, I drop to the hash marks around here. In contrast, pattern matching, which is what you're seeing from the best defenses in, in football at all levels, good pattern matching teams... Yeah, you, you, you start with basic spot drop principles to some degree, but then you learn, okay, here's the combinations that they run. Here's what happens when, when, you st- when they stem, when these two receivers stem this way, you read from one to two. When you get this stem, then you go here to stop what the, the, this expected combo. And the idea is that you never defend grass you're always matching up with the player who's going to be coming into your zone, and it becomes effectively man-to-man as those players come into your zone. And what we keep seeing from Florida State, and this is the big problem for me in the passing game, and this is why I've had some concerns about the secondary. I mean, if you go back to my season preview for the defense, the one thing that I said was, you know, the... The thing that keeps coming back to me from my sources is that the secondary just doesn't make enough plays for how talented they are. You know, as great as they as great as the physical talent on the field is and as many players as they have, the offense keeps getting guys that, you know, that guy's open over the middle. How is he open? Well, you know, at a certain point, the reason is because they're not being put into the position to succeed there with what they're being asked to do. And we saw some of it last year. We saw a lot of that last year. And the question was, would they be able to fix that? Would they, would they make that change, the necessary change, for this year? And to, from what I saw and from what we saw today, the answer to that's no. It's as simple as pattern matching as the problem there. And if you want to see the opposite of this, go and watch, if you didn't see it, go take a look at what North Carolina is doing defensively with Jay Bateman there, who's, who is the, uh, the army uh, defensive coordinator before that. And look at what their secondary and their linebackers look like. And I can tell you, I've been in practice there and I've been in practice at Florida state and the talent at Florida state in the back seven is leaps and bounds better than the talent in the back seven at UNC, but playing against South Carolina Anytime a ball was thrown, there was all, was, aside from one missed assignment where there was a missed check, there was always, a con, it was always a contested catch. You wouldn't see a guy surrounded by three guys and him standing alone. If there was a guy in, the, in, in a given zone, there was somebody on him. There was somebody right there draped on him. That's what good pattern matching does. Is it, it means that when this guy comes into your zone, you're collisioning him. You're, you, are, you are matching up with him. You're not dropping to a zone and trying to read the quarterback's eyes the same way. No, you're, you're, you're getting your eyes to the defenders and so on. And then as that guy goes to look, you can get your, your eyes to the ball. And that's, that's, that's modern defense. But over and over and over again, we would see Florida State, say, run a fire zone, bring five, drop, cover three. That's a standard Nick Saban play call. That's a standard uh, Bill Belichick play call. You see that all the time defensively. 
So it's not the problem that they're playing zone. The problem is that they're spot dropping in that zone. The problem is that they're not matching up correctly so that there, there should, you should not, in, in modern football, modern defensive football, you should not see a guy who can run upfield and turn around and then just be between players in the zone. Because you have to match, you have to match up with that guy as he goes, as he runs upfield. Somebody is supposed to be matching up with him. Somebody needs to drop to that spot and match up with where he's going. That's the point. But they're not doing that. And that's a coaching issue. That's not a talent issue. That's not Florida State needs to get better players. You're not going to get much player, much better players in the secondary and in the back seven than Florida State has. That's coaching. And it's not even scheme. It's technique. And it's how it's how the the the, the various defenses are are taught. It's what they're taught to do. You have to be you have to teach your linebackers to 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 uh, to match up rather than spot drop. You have to teach your defensive backs how to read how to uh, how to m- read patterns and know where you're going to be matching up here to take that away. So that's the part. I mean, again, my, my, my source had been pretty clear that the secondary had just not lived up to the level of talent in camp. And I passed that along. That part, frustrating, extremely frustrating, especially given that it's, it really is a coaching and teaching issue. But the part that's really surprising and the part that, you know, I, I'm sorry to, to those of you who listened to my, to my preview, I said, look, they're going to try to do this. But I don't think they're going to be able to pound Florida State's front because Florida State's going to be able to match up with their big 3-4. And the whole point of what they did in the offseason and in, in installing that system is to be able to match up against this kind of power type offense so that they don't give up a bunch in the run game. They've got all that beef there and you're going to have to push those guys around. And ultimately, I didn't believe, and I told you all, I don't believe that they're going to be able to push, push Marv and uh, Durden and Cooper around that those guys are going to be able to, to, to make some plays there and that that's going to be enough. Well, they did push those guys around. Now we see, by the way, why the offense was able to run the football some in camp. It's because the defense doesn't stop it. And yes, some of it was on the linebackers. Like I said, they'd shown improvement in camp, but they didn't play well in this game. They didn't trigger quickly enough. They didn't, uh, they didn't get into the backfield. They didn't do But if your defensive tackles in this scheme are not eating up blocks, if they're getting single blocked, or if you can combo and pass that off really quickly, then your your linebackers are in trouble. You got to keep those linebackers clean in the scheme. And those defensive tackles didn't eat up the blocks. And yeah, they only averaged 3.6 yards per rush. But what matters is that they got that yardage when they needed it. And you look at their, at their uh, running back, through the first half, their running backs averaged 4.2 and 4.0 yards per yards per rush. Then we get third quarter, 5.8 and 5.2 yards per rush. Fourth quarter, 6.2 and 6.0 yards per rush. So you take the you filter the sack yardage out of there, and they're they're rushing for over five yards a carry, and that got up over not only to not only to five, but that was six yards a carry in the fourth quarter. And yeah, they were gassed by that point. But you know who you know, you know whose fault it, it was that the offense or that the defense was gassed that they that they faced 108 plays. 
it wasn't the offense's fault. If you're getting, if you're giving up five yards per carry to the defense or to the uh, to the running backs in the first quarter, well, you're gonna fa- you're gonna face a lot of plays. Because if I'm that offensive coordinator, I'm gonna run inside zone until you stop it. And guess what? I can run inside zone as many times as I want if I'm running it for five yards a carry. And you're going to be out on that field a long, long time if that's what's, ha- when it, what, what's going to happen. It's the defense's responsible, responsibility to get off the field. And the point of going to the defensive scheme that they did was to match that with what they do offensively. They're going to be high tempo offensively. They're going to score quickly. And then what you want to do is you want to t- put the defense out there with bigs so that they can't just run the football on you and extend the game or, or slow down or uh, quicken up the game and reduce the number of possessions. You want to get the ball back to your defense or to your offense as quickly as possible. Oh, and that also allows you to do a lot of pressure packages so that you can, when it, when you get leverage because they can't run on you on first and second down, because you got all that beef out there, you pull out those pressure packages and that's when you start getting turnovers, but it doesn't work if you can't stop the run on first and second down. It's real simple. So there's going to be folks out there who are going to blame Kendall Bryles tempo and all this because the defense faced 108, 108 snaps, but it's the defense's inability to get off the field. That is the reason they faced 108 snaps. It also, by the way, is one of the reasons why that offense had some difficulty getting, getting on track in the second half. You go three and out in that offense, and then you spend six, seven, eight minutes of game time. You're 25 minutes on the sideline. You basically need to go through pregame warmups again. And then you're going to take that rhythm offense and you're going to stick them out there again. And it's hard as a play caller too, especially again, when, when everything is about getting things moving so much of that system is about you is about taking advantage of tempo and taking advantage of the defense in in those contexts. And they never were able to even do that because by the time Boise's defense got out there, they, they were rested again. Now, that doesn't mean that Bryles has, you know, that he did everything right in this game. Uh, I, I think, again, I've I already criticized the end of the half thing. And secondly, I, in, in the, in the uh, second half, there was that, that moment where they got the ball. The defense was clearly gassed at that point. And Bryles called up two deep shots on first and second down. And I'm sitting there going, what in the world is he doing? You got to see the big picture, man. Right now, the best thing you can do is at least get a first down. Run the football, do some of your RPO stuff to, to, to just reestablish a, bit, a little bit of rhythm. But I thought they got, he, he, he panicked a little bit there and tried to go out and win the game with a couple of those, with, with a couple big plays because it came so easy early. I think he went out there and he, and he called those to, to do that rather than seeing the big picture that I need to support my defense a little bit, just I need to get a first down here. I need to help my offensive line and my quarterback a little bit just by getting some things moving and reestablishing some, some, uh, some rhythm here. Instead, he tried to go for, the, go for the throat with a couple of those. And by that point, Boise was just playing everything over the top. You're not going to beat, beat them over the top at that point. Boise adjusted. They took away the things that, that, that Florida State was able to beat them with over the top early. And so... What, you, what do you have to do? You have to go back to the other counters. And I thought at that point, Bryles got a little impatient. And I also thought he, he was calling plays like an offensive coordinator at, at that moment. And also at the end of the first half, 
rather than as someone who's seeing the big picture. And ultimately, the person to blame there, that's the head coach's responsibility. That's the head coach's responsibility to step in. You get on the phones or you talk to the OC right before the before each drive and you say, this is what I want. That's the head coach's job to step in and say, run it. Just run the football. Let's get it. Let's get out of the half. If we, if we break one and you apply the Jimbo Fisher rule of we're going to run the ball. If we break the run a little bit and we get, you know, 10, 15 yards, then we'll turn it up. But until then, let's just run it. Let's just get out of here. We've been able to run it so far. Worst thing, you know, let's maintain our momentum and just, just get out of the half. That's the head coach's job to step in and do that. And that's what should have been done there. That's a head coaching management decision. Same thing with those two deep shots at that point. I'm sitting there saying when they got the ball, okay, first thing, you got to get it back to Acres. You got to go ahead and, st- and, and you got to get a first down here. Let your defense reset and start establishing momentum again because you've lost momentum, reestablish the momentum. And instead he, he did the opposite. And again, that's what the head coach needs to come in and do and be, and say, all right, look, I need a first down here. That's it. And I've done this enough as a coach myself to know that that's what head coaches do. There've been times on each staff that I've been on where we, as an offensive staff, were saying, well, we can, we can get them over the top here. And the head coach would just say, no, 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 look, I just need a first down right now. Call what you can get. Call what you can call to get me a first down right now. Don't go for anything. Don't don't throw it down the field. Okay, coach. Gotcha. That's what should have happened. That's what a head coach is supposed to do is is be the one that is to, is making the big picture decisions because as coordinators and position coaches and all that, we get we get focused on what we do. That's what the head coach is supposed to do and it didn't happen. So, yeah, I mean, all told, this was a pretty discouraging result, I think, for a lot of reasons, just in terms of culturally. Teams, and, and you know, I was, I, I, before the, the UNC South Carolina game, I was doing the, uh, the podcast that I do for UNC stuff. Uh, the, those, many of you may not know that I also cover UNC. But in, in talking about that podcast, one of the things that, that came up was how... Teams take on the personality of their of their head coach and also to some degree of their coordinators and their strength coach. But really, the culture of a team filters down from the head coach. And the concerning thing at this point is that this team, when some adversity has hit, when things are, are not quite going the way that they should, the way that they've responded, the way that they have have struggled to finish over the past two years, and it didn't get better later in the year last year, which is what you would hope. That's the concerning thing moving forward. That's the concerning thing. And so much of stuff, uh, so much stuff we talked in our preview stuff that it was going to be wait and see on some stuff, on a lot of things. We knew the offense would be a lot better. It's going to be better coordinated. They're going to score points. But 31 points should have been enough today. I said in the, pre- in the preview that based on Boise's prior outputs against Power 5 teams, the magic number for Florida State should be 28. Score more than 28 points, you should win the game. They scored 31 in the first half. That should have been enough right there. But the defense didn't do their job. 
and Florida State was unable to limit Boise State to what you would expect a Power 5 defense to do. And that says a lot. Because they've got, they've got talent there. And, you know, in terms of the offense, I mean, we'll get more into this in the next podcast. I, I don't want to break too much down because I actually want to look at schematically what, what happened in the second half on some things. But, yeah, in the first half, they, they had a really good plan to limit the exposure of the offensive line. They were able to run the football in the first half. And then they got a couple of, you know, vintage Bryles system, you know, the little uh, slot pump and go, these sorts of things that, you know, you're going to get big plays. And then in the second half, a lot of that went away. And I do want to take a look at what happened up front there. I mean, some of it is just, again, Florida State offensive, in terms of offensive line, is still not great. But they they had plays to be made. And some of, some of the adjustments that Boise made, I didn't feel like Florida State adjusted well to. And that's something I want to take a, a closer look at uh, before, I, before I say much more there. But... Um, I, I just thought also that a couple of the turnovers, particularly Akers fumble was, uh, I mean, you think about it, this game without the, without the awful snap, which was due to a miscommunication there where, you know, the center was not realizing that the quarterback was trying to get a guy in motion. But um, without that snap error and without the, Acres fumble, Florida State still probably wins this game. Oh, and then I almost forgot the stupidity of Dontavius Jackson trying to pick up that football, taking it away from Levante Taylor, who was on the ground just trying to recover it. Go down, just like if he goes down and covers that football, that changes the, the whole game. So that play, Acres fumble, which came right after a big run play that looked like they were starting to get moving on offense again. Those two, those two plays to me turn this game. That's the other thing. Finding ways to lose the game, despite really being the better team. I mean, I did not expect almost seven yards per play. I mean, there was six point, what 6.8 or 6.9 yards per play on the day from Florida state. 31 points. You expect to win with that. But you put the ball on the ground there and then the ball's on the ground in front of you and then you selfishly try to pick it up and advance it five yards because you're going to get tackled anyway. Go down on the ball. But again, some of the stupid and selfish stuff still remains. And, you know, we'll see whether, we'll see how much of that stuff gets fixed. But with Virginia looming in two weeks... Virginia's going to do the same thing that Boise does. <laughs> That's what they do. That's a physical football team. They're going to run the football and they have a quarterback that'll run. Final thing, what I do not understand, and this is the last thing, and this has been a little bit disjointed, but what I do not understand is if you have an elite secondary, allegedly, if you really like the personnel you have there and you believe that you've got some quality defensive backs, and they do, and they're right, by the way, and you get and you're getting gashed in the run game. Why do you not decide, you know what, we're going to go press man and we're going to put nine in the box. You are not going to run on us. And you know what, if you throw it over our heads, fine. Get it back to our offense. Our offense is scoring, the, scoring fine anyway. But you are not going to run for five yards per, per carry on us. 
Why would you not do that? Why not adjust out of that? Why stick with what you're with what you're doing and continue to give up four or five yards of carry in chunks? Why not step up that pressure and bring both sa- roll both safeties down and basically say, look, we're going to make you beat Stanford Samuels, Asante Samuel, maybe Levante Taylor. We're going to make you beat those guys one on one. And if you can, we'll tip we'll tip our hat. But we're going to come downhill and you're not going to run on us. Why did that not happen? That's my real cliffhanger of a question in this, in this podcast. A lot of questions in terms of this and, you know, a lot of frustration there for a fan base that was, uh, that had reason to expect a little better than this. We'll go ahead and wrap there. As always want to thank my three sponsors. Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Also, Garage Makeovers, if you have any need for any garage work or renovations done in South Florida, they're the ones to talk to. EPR Creations, my third sponsor. If you have any need for any web development, any internet marketing or branding strategy, any of that, any sort of uh, thing like that, EPR Creations, who to talk to. All, the, all that information is in the show notes. And as always, I want to thank those above the bleached numbers sponsorship level, and that is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Bert Bertoldi. Thanks, as always, for your support. I really am very grateful. This has been the Unconquered Podcast Hot Takes Edition. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this. <laughs>